We are going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. This is not the, uh, not the sermon I was intending to preach this week, but in God's providence, this is, this is where we are. This week was a bit of a rough week in the Chip Chase household. We had a stomach bug run through the home, and so between uh, dealing with sick children or being sick myself, it was a rough week. And then to, just to add the cherry on top of it all, I have a, a dry eye condition that affects uh, how I sleep at night. It can keep my eye open at night, and then when I blink, it tears the cornea of my eye. And usually, I have these gel drops that I put in my eye, and it when I do that, it doesn't have any effect. I don't have the uh, issues with the uh, dry eye issue. But on back-to-back nights, despite putting those drops in my eye, I tore cornea on the same eye two nights in a row. Uh, incredibly painful, and I basically just sat in a dark room for a couple of days trying to let that heal and recover. Ended up going to the eye doctor and getting eye drops for all of that. I share all of that as background and backstory for why we're not in the book of Ruth this week. Um, The time that I would have been spent uh, studying for Ruth was taken from me providentially, and so I have actually pulled up some old notes from a sermon that I preached uh, many years ago and kind of dusted it off, made some adjustments to it, and this is what we are going to be studying. Today is this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. By just by way of introduction, I don't know if you've ever thought about the concept of legacy. What is, what is a legacy? How do you achieve having a legacy? What do you even think what your legacy might be that you would leave on to future generations? I know some people think of their legacy in terms of their personal accomplishments. Like maybe, maybe they built some kind of of, of empire of some kind, like a, like a technological empire or a media empire, and that, that this is, you know, Walt Disney's legacy is all these animated films or, or whatever else. Or think of individuals like George Washington. What would be his legacy? And we think of him as one of our founding fathers, the first president of the United States and the general of the uh, armies from the Revolutionary War. Tom Brady, what about, what, what's his legacy, right? He has all these Super Bowl rings, right? He's one of the most accomplished football players to ever play the game. Some people might think of their legacy as perhaps something what they were able to pass on in terms of just generationally to their children. That could be maybe property or it could be uh, wealth of some kind, that their legacy is their provision for their children or their grandchildren, And others might consider their legacy perhaps the impact that they made on other people, the values that they exhibited and and encouraged others to embrace within their life, that that's their legacy, that they taught other people to do this or be that. I'd like us just to entertain for a moment the concept of thinking about our legacy in terms of a, almost like a word association game. I don't know if you've ever played that kind of game where if I just go start read, just saying a list of things that, that you are to respond with the very first thing that pops into your head whenever I say something. And so the idea is it's supposed to be some kind of a, a psychological practice that says, okay, this is something that I associate with that word. So if I say dog, you know, the first thing that comes into your head might be whatever you associate with that or sky or whatever else. 
Well, if I were to play a word association game with individuals who know you, and then I throw your name into the list of words that I say, what comes to their mind? What do they think of when they hear your name? What about our church, Pillar Fellowship? If we played a word association game and people think, Pillar Fellowship, what will be the legacy of of this body of believers long after you and I are gone? Well, the church in Thessalonica, they were known for a few things, and Paul is going to identify what they were known for. And, And the things that they were known for, I think they can be instructive for us that if, if our legacy ended up being what the Thessalonian legacy was known for, what, what, was, what, these, what this church in Thessalonica, what stood out about them, what they were known for, what was clear, what was evident within their lives, if, if what was true about them ended up being true about us, I think we could say that, that God did some amazing things here at Pillar Fellowship. And these, are, these would be good things for us to strive for, for us to desire to build within the life of our body, to build within our lives personally as individuals, but then also as a corporate body of believers in Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'd just like to read for us this first paragraph, really the, really the first chapter. I'm just going to read for us the, very, the whole first chapter. Paul writes, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of our Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, if we were to play that, that same word association game with the Apostle Paul and to say, oh yes, the church in Thessalonica, it, it seems that there'd be several things that would just pop into his mind as, even as he says, you know, I always thank God always for you and these are the, this is what I remember about you. This is, this is what comes to my mind when I think about you. The legacy of the Thessalonians, what I want us to see today is that the Thessalonian legacy 
Again, just to reiterate, it should be the legacy that we strive for as individuals, but then as a corporate body, as a local church, when we see their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope, and their heralded word, that should be what we are striving for. So, first, let's look at the legacy of a working faith, as he says there in that, in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your work of faith. And we need to be careful with this, that we want to understand this rightly, and we don't want to get things confused. Uh, We know that when Paul says work of faith, he is not speaking about working for our faith or, or seeking to accomplish our faith through our works as though we could be saved by our good works. That is, that would go, be at odds with what Paul has clearly expounded of many places throughout Scripture. I think in particular of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says very clearly that our salvation is not by works, but is by grace through faith so that no one could boast. We are saved by grace and through faith and by grace and through faith alone. There's nothing that we can add to our faith that can earn us our salvation. However, while it is true that salvation is by faith in faith alone, I believe that Paul is is seeking to demonstrate for us that when we do have a genuine saving faith within our lives, that faith doesn't stay alone. When, when the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work within our hearts and within our lives, it, it can't help but bear fruit and produce the good works within us that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what was evident within the lives of the Thessalonians. And if we we go down within the context of this, we see this work out. He says, our gospel came to you, this is verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And in verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit." Paul looks to and he sees the, that the evidence of the faith of the Thessalonians and what has been borne out within their lives, it's because of their faith in Jesus Christ that these things have begun to work out. And so he says, when I think of you, I, I think of the, the faith that you have and how that has borne fruit within your life. In many ways, I think of the epistle of James and how he spoke about how faith without works is dead and the need for us to be living out our faith. If, if we claim to have faith, okay, well, that's great. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate my faith through how I live my life. And there's an illustration that's been used many times over the years, individuals that speak of, you know, there's two farmers that went out into the field during a drought and they both prayed for rain, but only one of them planted his seeds in the ground in preparation for the rain. Which of the two men had faith? 
the, the individuals who prepared for the rain that they so desperately needed and was praying for. And this is what is to mark us. This is how we should have the evidence that should be within our lives. That when the, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, when we are transformed by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, saved by grace and through faith alone, it begins to work itself out within our lives. And that's, that's what that text in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we go on to verse 10, that, that we should walk in the works that He has prepared beforehand for us. We are His workmanship in Christ Jesus. And when Paul thinks of the Thessalonians, he identifies them as individuals who have a working faith. It produces fruit within their lives. It, it works itself out by how they live out their lives. The, think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, etc. This is what the Spirit of God works within those who have faith in Christ. It will be borne out. So we see their work of faith. Second, we see their labor of love. Or we could say a labor that is motivated by love. This is the, the second thing that, that Paul identifies as the legacy of the Thessalonian church. A labor that is motivated by love, a laboring love. Of course, this is the word agape. This is a word that we think of as a self-sacrificial love. It's a, it's a love that, that sacrifices of ourselves, that, that sets aside our own desires and our own interests for the sake of loving others, for the sake of seeking the good of others. I can think of many times where I've been on the receiving end of such self-sacrificial love in my life. Really, really too many times to even count. I, I even think of the reality of, of how there are other churches and individuals that give of their own resources for my family. We have supporting churches in different places of the country, Kansas City, Chicago, different places around the country Individuals within those churches that will that, that give of their own resources in order that I may not have to work full time in order to provide for my family, that I may be free to seek to help grow and establish Pillar Fellowship. That's that's self self sacrificial love on the part of those individuals who, who believe in what we are doing here. They they too desire to see a gospel proclaiming church here, and so they give of themselves for that purpose. There's self-sacrifice with that. I think of, you know, I had an uncle who sadly passed away several years ago. But this, this was an individual who gave of himself, gave of his own time. He lived in Kansas City where I went to school. At different times, my vehicle would break down. He would always be there. He would show up and help me either fix my car. He would let me borrow one of his vehicles. He would bend over backwards to make sure that I had a vehicle to go where I needed to go. He didn't have to do that. I wasn't his responsibility. But he did so out of love for me. And really, in many ways, I believe also out of love for his brother, my dad, 
as well. There's a self-sacrificial love within his life. The Apostle John writes about this this concept of love, and I'm just going to turn there very quickly. 1 John chapter 4, where he talks about how we ought to be laboring and toiling in self-sacrificial love. Look at how John describes this concept. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is what God has done for us. He sent His own Son into the world to die for us. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Christ did for us. And so John's conclusion is, if that's what's been done for us, that is what what we should be doing for others. We should be looking for opportunities to self-sacrificially loving one another with our time, with our resources, with our abilities, any way that we can help one another and serve one another. We can show the love of God to one another through our actions. And that is to be a response to knowing what God has done for us. The Thessalonian church, this is what they were known for. This is what they were known for. They were a self-sacrificing church. They labored in that love. It, it speaks of a, of a toil. It speaks of a sweat that would come upon their brows. They, they labored in it. They toiled in it. They worked hard at it. For the sake of loving others. Going back to 1 Thessalonians, as we continue to to see the legacy of this Thessalonian church. Yes, they had this legacy of a working faith. They had a legacy of a laboring love. They had a legacy of a steadfast hope. Steadfastness of hope. Different translations render this word differently. New American Standard says steadfast. ESV says steadfast. Well, the New King James says a patience of hope. Now, the word speaks up of, the, the, the word that's used there for steadfastness, it speaks of this concept of, of holding out or bearing up in the face of difficulty. One theologian said this, that this word means not a, it's not a negative, passive acquiescence, but rather an active, manly endurance. Another scholar says that this is not just the resignation of a passive sufferer, like, oh, woe is me, I guess this is just what I get to suffer through, but rather it is the fortitude of a, of a stout-hearted soldier. 
So the idea is, is as, we, as we go through the various storms and the trials of this life, that there is a steadfastness of our hope that says, no, you know what? I know that there's different things that are coming against me right now, but I'm not just a passive sufferer in the midst of this. No, my feet are planted. I am where God has me. This is what God has for my life right now. I am trusting in the Word of God. I know what He will have for me someday in glory so I am steadfast. I persevere. I am patient through this trial, through this tribulation. And as Paul was speaking this and recognizing that this is what marked the Thessalonian church, this was a church that was severely persecuted, severely afflicted. Paul mentions that at different points within this text. I've lost it here in, in, for a moment, but it, it says how they, oh, it's in verse 6. You receive the word in much affliction. And throughout the letter, there are evidences of persecution that these people had endured the sake of Christ, so much so that many of them had even been concerned that perhaps even the day of the Lord had already come. Of course, Paul is writing to help them understand the concept of the day of the Lord and, and the coming gathering together of the church. And so First and Second Thessalonians are written to help address the, those things. But, but it is because of this, this affliction that they were enduring, that they were enduring this, this trial, and yet they were steadfast in their hope. They were steadfast in what they were trusting in, in Jesus Christ. just want to take a moment and speak to this concept of hope. You know, sometimes we think of this, this word hope and in the way we use it in our common vernacular and our vocabulary today. It's, it's an uncertain thing, right? It's something that, man, you know, I hope such and such will happen. Here we are, this is a trite example, but here we are rolling into we're into the football season. I'm a Bears fan, and I hope that somehow the Bears will start to figure some things out and put some pieces together to have a good season. It'd be nice to cheer for a winning football team. Well, I hope for it. Well, I don't know if it's going to happen. In fact, the odds don't look super great right now. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a trite example. But it speaks of that uncertainty. We don't know. Like, I hope such and such a things develop and happen, but I don't know if that's going to come about. Well, that stands in stark contrast to what the biblical picture of hope is. Biblically, when we see this concept of hope in the Scriptures, what should be in our minds is a confident expectation in the promises of God. God has said, I will do this. This will come about. And our hope in that reality says, yes, Lord, I believe that. That is my confident expectation that the God who says this will occur will bring this about. So I have a confident expectation, a confident rest in the promises of God. So that when God says, I will return and I will gather my church together, that we believe that's true, a confident expectation of that reality. That when God says, I'm going to establish my kingdom, 
and I'm going to rule the world in truth, righteousness, and justice, that we have a confident expectation and trust. Yes, Lord, I believe that that is true and that that is coming. That when God says, I know you're going through a difficult trial right now, but I believe that I have working all these things together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. A hope in the Lord says that is my confident expectation. That's, I don't know how that's going to work out. But my confident expectation and my trust in the Lord is that He will do exactly as He promised. Confident expectation. If you were to look up the word hope in the Greek lexicon, you would find a definition such as this. It's the looking forward to something with some reason for confidence respecting fulfillment, especially pertaining to a matter spoken of in God's promises. When we see what God has promised for His children, that's what inspires that steadfastness, that perseverance, that, that leaning into the trials and into the difficulties. Because we know what He has promised for us. We know what's coming. We know how this all ends. We don't know all the steps that we have to take to get there in particular in each of us in our particular lives, but we know where this story is going. And it ends with Christ ruling and reigning over all. And so we persevere. We endure even through trials, even through difficulties, knowing what it is that He has for us. So we see that there is a, a legacy of a, of a working faith, a laboring love, a, a steadfast hope, a confident expectation Finally, there's a legacy of a heralded word. If you would, skip down with me down to verse 8, where Paul is speaking of the, the reputation and the, how, how the Thessalonian church, how they received the word of God, how it impacted their hearts and their lives, how the Holy Spirit powerfully was working in them and through them. He says down in verse 8 that, that not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. These people were not keeping silent about the good news of the gospel of Christ. These individuals were not people who were transformed by the gospel of Christ and then just, just sat on it and said, okay, I'm glad I'm saved and now I'm just going to be happy with that. All these individuals, they were transformed by the gospel it says, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. They taught others. They spoke of this hope, this, this confident expectation that they had, this, the, the promises of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They talked about these things with others. The word of the Lord sounded forth. They heralded the Word. They proclaimed the Word of the Lord. They, they taught the gospel to others so much so that Paul says, I don't even have to open my mouth anymore, and not in Asia. 
or, or, or rather Macedonian and, and Achaia, your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves, the people that, that you have been ministering to, the people that you have opened your mouth to, the people that you have proclaimed the gospel to, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, which He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This Thessalonian church had a reputation. They were known for something. They were known as a, as a church, as a body of believers, who when they received the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they were taught the Word of God, when they heard it and, and they believed it, that it changed how they lived. It brought about good works into their lives as they had this work of faith, a, a faith that led to good works. It brought about this labor of love, a labor motivated by love as they sought to reach out to those around them. It brought about this steadfastness of hope, even though they were enduring difficult trials and, and persecution on the account of the gospel of Christ from others who would seek to destroy them. They were steadfast, confident in the hope they had in Jesus Christ. And the word of the Lord sounded forth from them. Even in spite of the persecution that was coming against them, they didn't let that stop them. They spoke out all the more. So much so that their reputation was so well known that, that they, others could see, wow, these people are changed. They've turned to God from idols. They were going this way. They, they were pursuing false idols within the world. And now they've, they've turned from that. This, they, they, this is... Incidentally, the word repentance isn't used here, but this is one of my favorite passages to go to to illustrate the concept. Because that's what it is. It's, it's a turning. It's a changing of our minds so much so that it impacts how we live. They turned to God from the idols in order to serve the living and the true God. But not only that, it's to serve Him with an anticipation of the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. These were a hopeful people. This was a, a people looking forward to the things that the Lord was going to bring into their lives through the return of Jesus Christ. This is what they were known for. This was their legacy. A faith that evidenced itself in works. A love that produced a labor, a work for others. A hope that inspired perseverance and a gospel that was proclaimed so that everyone knew who this church was and what God did in the Thessalonian church. That's the legacy of the Thessalonians. It is my hope, it is my prayer that 
God would work that out here in Pillar Fellowship. That Pillar Fellowship would be a body of believers known in this community, in southern Indiana, as a church, as a group of people. That that their faith impacts how they live. That they self-sacrificially love one another. That even when hardship comes against us, even if there does come a day when we do have some level of persecution, that we are steadfast knowing what our hope is in Jesus Christ. That we would be a church known for heralding the Word of God here in our community. Again, I hope these things would be true of us individually and corporately as a body of believers. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Lord, I know that I am personally challenged by this text. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be a faithful herald of your word that I would seek out to live by faith that which you have called me to be, that knowing who you are and what you have done for me would produce fruit within my life that is evidence that others would see, this one's different. This one has been changed by the gospel. Make that true in my life. Make that evident to others. Lord, I do pray that that would be true of Pillar Fellowship as a whole. That it would be true of us individually. That's the only way it can be true for us as a whole if it is true for us individually. But I do pray that Pillar Fellowship would be known as a church within this community that when people hear the name Pillar Fellowship, they say, oh yes, that's the church that reaches out. That's the church that loves one another. That's the church that, man, they endure hardship, but they persevere through it. That's the church that is heralding the gospel. I pray that that could be true, that you would accomplish that. And that years down the line, Lord, there would be others who would come after us, who would follow in this, the same tradition that they would find us faithful. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.